Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, this morning we're continuing our series called Story of a Savior. We've been in this Christmas season, and my hope in all that we do, and especially in this series, is to point people to Jesus. To use a cliche that's absolutely true, Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. Without Jesus, there is no Christmas, and honestly, without Jesus, there's no life. Jesus came to give us abundant life. And in John chapter 10, verse number 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus entered the world, died on the cross, was buried and rose again so that we may have life and have life abundantly. He spent the first 30 years of his life mainly in obscurity. His family lived in Galilee, and Luke records that as Jesus grew up, that he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with both God and man. Mark tells us that he followed in the footsteps of his father vocationally as a carpenter. Before Jesus did any teaching or had any public ministry or performed any miracles, he insisted on first being baptized. His baptism was so significant that all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the story of Jesus being baptized. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see the story of Jesus' baptism and immediately following the temptation that he faced in the desert. And in this passage and in all moments when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we have an incredible example to look to. Jesus was fully God and fully man, but when he was on the earth. He felt like we feel, and at his baptism, this very spiritually significant moment and immediately following the greatest temptation that he ever faced. Isn't that how it is in our lives as well, that we have these spiritually significant highs or these spiritually significant moments, and it seems like those are always immediately followed up with the greatest temptation that we've ever faced. I think about our teenagers as they go to youth convention or they go to youth camp, and they have these incredible incredible highs and these great moments with the Lord at the altar and then when they come back from camp or convention face some of the greatest temptations that they've ever faced. Maybe for you it was that moment when you were baptized in water or baptized in the Holy Spirit or maybe for you it was that moment when you first got saved and you thought that from that moment on you're good and it's going to be great from then but instead a great temptation follows. That's how the enemy works. You have these moments and then he rushes in like a flood to tempt you or to get you to doubt, or discredit you, or destroy you. In Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus' baptism, and then again, the temptation that followed immediately. If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse number 13, Matthew chapter 3. It's also going to appear on the screen. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word, for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, we see that Jesus asked John to baptize him. And John says, I I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus says, well, you're, you're going to do it anyway. And in verse number 16, it records that when he came up out of the water, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus. What a supernatural moment and a significant moment. I'm telling you that when I was baptized years ago, it was a spiritually significant moment, but it was not supernatural. The heavens didn't open up, uh, you know, like the roof of the church didn't like part ways and we see the heavens open. This year we've baptized 58 people in our church. It's been amazing. And those moments have been spiritually significant, but again, the roof has not spread apart and, you know, the heavens open up in that. What Jesus experienced was supernatural. In addition, in verse number 17, it says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. These words echo Isaiah chapter 42, verse number 1. That reads, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. What an announcement. What an announcement. Jesus knew the Father, and the Father knew him. Jesus knew the Father, and the Father knew him. God affirmed what Jesus already knew, that he was a child of God. Jesus is declared as the promised son and Messiah king to bring about God's salvation, which sets the stage for his future ministry. For each of us who have confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior of our lives, we've been given the right to be called children of God. This is our first and our primary identity. Everything outside of that is secondary. This identity impacts what we believe, how we behave, and what we do. In Jesus' baptism, we see the eagerly awaited Messiah King arrives on the scene. 
And the first thing that he does is identify with the servants, with the humanity in his baptism. He demonstrates that his kingdom is upside down in this way the king came to save the servants. Paul Washer is a pastor and missionary who spent some time in Ukraine. And while there, he was told a story about a Russian prince and his slave who were riding on a dog sled in Siberia. As they were traveling, a pack of wolves began to chase them. And the wolves drew closer and closer until both men realized that there was no chance of escape. In self-sacrificial love, the servant threw himself off the sled and sacrificed himself so that the king could live. As they shared the story with Paul Washer, a, a man yelled out, that's a picture of the cross. And someone replied, no, it's definitely not a picture of the cross. If it was a picture of the cross, the king would have thrown himself off to save the slave. In the gospel, the king dies so the servants can live. This is the type of God that we serve. Immediately after this declaration of God to Jesus, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In the wilderness, there's this scene of this showdown between two competing kingdoms and rulers, two figures who lay claim to the hearts of, and souls of men and women. Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and fasting has taken on many shapes and forms in our day and age. As you heard in the announcements beginning January 1st, we're going to have 21 days of prayer and fasting where we would encourage you to fast something and spend some time in intentional prayer. Sometimes people fast from food, different types of food. Sometimes people fast from certain activities or certain drinks. But what we read about in this passage of Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights is he fasted from all food. He didn't eat anything for 40 days. It was 40 years that the Israelites wandered in the desert dependent on God for their sustenance. And Israel fell during their wilderness temptation, but Jesus didn't. It was 40 days that, that Moses fasted on Mount Sinai before he received the tablets of the covenant from God. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry and vulnerable. The devil appears and says to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Look, if you haven't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, that's quite a temptation. Some of you are like, it's quite a temptation for me. It was 40 minutes ago that I had a cupcake, you know, and you're hungry again. At a deeper level, this story poses the question of how Jesus will exercise his messianic power throughout his ministry. The devil tempts Jesus to become a self-serving wonder worker to flex his power for his own end. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 3, which interprets Israel's dependence on manna as a lesson on feeding on God's will for our lives. That's the food for which Jesus hungers for above all else is to do the will of the Father. And Jesus' reply in verse number four makes it clear that he's not about to act independently of God and use his power to gratify his own desires. Instead, he says to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil tested Jesus' priorities and Jesus passed the test. When this test was unsuccessful, the devil thought maybe a change of scenery will do the trick. And so he takes him to the very top of this temple. And he started the temptation with the same phrase as before, if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. 
He says, jump from this really high point. I know that you don't have a parachute on and there's no net to catch you, but go ahead and just leap off of here. The test could have two purposes. One on the surface would be to try to get Jesus to destroy himself by jumping off. The other perspective, again, keep in mind that all of this is before the public ministry of Jesus. This could be an appeal to Jesus to seek public acclaim for his work through a miracle. The devil quotes Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12, and with his challenge, he's saying, if you are the son of God, God will protect you from all harm. And Jesus is like, you're going to have to try harder than that. If you're going to try to get me to fall into temptation, you should at least not misrepresent or misinterpret Scripture for my behalf. Don't you know that I am the way, the truth, and the life? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Right? Jesus says, you're going to have to try harder than that. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 16. It says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He reminds the devil that it's a mistake for us to try to force God's hand. And in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, this is exactly what happened with the people of, that the people of Israel did at Massa in the wilderness when they tested the Lord demanding water. They were thirsty and they were crying out to Moses and they said, we're going to die of thirst. And, and Moses cried out to God and he says, Lord, they're, they're testing you and they're about to stone me if you don't do something here. And God tells them to strike a stone and that water will come out. And in Exodus chapter 17, verse number 7, it says, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? How many times have you found yourself in the midst of facing adversity or trial asking that very question, is the Lord among us or not? And here Jesus is being tempted three times in the desert. And he didn't need some miraculous moment from God to prove that God was with him. Jesus knew that God was with him. And can I tell you this morning, God is with you. He's with you, Emmanuel, God with us. Satan tries to test Jesus' confidence in the Father. The devil has underestimated Jesus, and his first two attempts to get Jesus to, to fall into temptation have failed. So he tries a different approach. And he takes him to this very high place to try to get to test Jesus' allegiance. And he shows him all the lands and the kingdoms as far as the eye could see. And it's reminiscent of Deuteronomy chapter 34 where Moses ascends Mount Nebo and God shows him all the land which Israel would possess one day. It also reminds us of the offer that God made to the king in Psalm chapter 2 verse number 8 that says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. This time the devil makes this offer. He shows them all of the kingdoms and all of their glory. And he says, I'll give them to you. All you have to do is fall down and worship me. I'll tell you, in preparation for this message, as I read these verses, I just got sick to my stomach. To think about the lies of the enemy that people believe. To think about how many people in our families and in our communities and around the world who have believed this lie of the enemy. 
that he would give us all of the kingdoms and all of the glory if we'll just bow down and worship him and to just know what an empty promise that was to Jesus and to know what an empty promise it is to the people who are living today. Jesus refuses. He doesn't negotiate with the enemy. He commands the devil to be gone. Isn't that what we see in in the book of James to resist the devil and he will flee? And here Jesus is providing that example. He reminds the devil of the basic tenet of faith that only God deserves our worship and allegiance. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 13. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The devil left him and the angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus didn't settle for an opportunistic alliance with the present evil order. This part of the story recalls the wilderness experience of the prophet Elijah that was fed by the angels before undertaking a a journey of 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb in 1 Kings chapter 19. In both stories, the angels represent the comfort and strength which God provides to those who are tested. Those who trust in God have the same spirit, they have the the same sonship, the same scripture, allowing them to face temptation through him. One day, the temptation will end. For some, it will be because you've stood so strong for so long in the power of the spirit that that what was once a weakness has now become a strength. For those of you who are caught up in sin, you feel trapped, you feel addicted, you feel hopeless and helpless to get out. I just want to tell you this morning, it doesn't have to be like this. Through the grace and the work of Jesus in your life, you can be victorious and you can be set free. He can help build up your resilience and your resistance to the devil's schemes. There's a story of a guy named Parnell Bailey who visited an orange grove where an engine, where uh, an irrigation pump had broken down. The season was unusually dry and some of the trees were beginning to die for a lack of water. The man giving a tour took Bailey to his own orchard where irrigation was used sparingly. He said these trees could go on without rain for another two weeks. He explained that when the trees were young, he frequently kept water from them. This hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil for the search, uh, for in search of moisture. He said, now mine are the deepest rooted trees in the area. While others are being scorched by the sun, these are finding moisture at a greater depth. When we face hardship, when we face a desert, it brings to light our true character. And in moments like that, if we'll allow our roots to grow deeper, then we'll be able to live longer, survive longer, last longer, and win the race of faith that God has called us to. Jesus' roots were deep in scripture and fellowship with God. He's our great example. And it's easy to look at the life of Jesus and even look at this moment in the desert and think, well, of course he succeeded that temptation. He's God. It's true, but he was also fully human. He felt the fullness of those temptations. He was weakened after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus gives us a perfect example of dependence on Scripture and God's Spirit. He shows us how to live the human life in the way that God intended it. We can experience the same victory He had by following His example. Like Jesus, we have God's Word. Jesus knew God's Word deeply. 
So we see in this passage, Jesus quoted God's word back to the devil. Do we know his word in the same way? Let's take time to read it, to memorize it, to learn it. We have God's word. We also have the same spirit. When we become followers of Jesus, we're sealed with the same Holy Spirit. And so we don't have to depend on our own strength, on our own power. We get to depend on his power. When we become followers of Jesus, we, are, we, are, we become children of God. We're united to Jesus. We're adopted and share in sonship. When that happens, the enemy of our soul is gonna fight with all the power of hell to get us to renounce that identity. But because we have Jesus' scripture, we have the Holy Spirit, Jesus' sonship, we too can be successful as we face temptations like Jesus. When Jesus was tempted, he knew who he was and he knew whose he was. He knew that the God of, that he knew that God the Father held all of the power, not the devil. And because he knew him, there was no chance that he was gonna fall for a counterfeit. Because he knew him, there was no chance that he was gonna fall for a fraud. Man, can I encourage all of us in this season and in all seasons to know him. If you don't know Jesus at that level, make a commitment to know him more today. That when the enemy would come with all of the powers of hell and the schemes of the devil, that you would recognize him for what he is, a liar, a counterfeit, and a fraud, and that you would go, no, I'm not falling for that because I know whose I am and I know who I am. Because Jesus knew him, he didn't fall. He gave us this example. Do you know him? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know him and you're like, today I wanna know this man, Jesus. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I want him to forgive me of my sins. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. Just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. You say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see those hands. Two, three. You can put them down. Are there others this morning? Four. Are there others this morning? Let's all stand. There were at least four hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear heavenly father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, 
with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask that you would do a couple of things. One is that look to the person on your left or right and let them know of the decision that you've made today so that they can encourage you along in this journey. The second is this, in just a moment, the prayer team's gonna make their way to both sides of the stage to pray for people who need prayer for anything. And I'm gonna ask that if you raise your hand, that you would make your way up to the front when the prayer team's up here as the worship team's leading in a song and just tell them of the decision that you've made today and allow them to pray a prayer of blessing over you. So I'm gonna pray. As I do, the prayer team's gonna make their way up to the front. Worship team's gonna lead us in another song and I'd encourage you to step out of your seat and come forward. Before I pray, I just wanna say this. Next Sunday is one of the easiest Sundays in the world to invite people to come to church. It's Christmas Eve, 8.30 and 10.15. It's a Sunday when even non-believers are thinking about Jesus. And so I would encourage you this week, as many people as possible, invite them to come. It's not even confusing. You don't even have to remember what time the services are. It's the time that you showed up today. Well, maybe some of you showed up late today. It's at 10.15, that's when it'll start, or 8.30. In addition, as on your way out, Sarah Turner is gonna be out in the gathering room. And I would encourage you at the end of this service to find her, hug her neck, tell her how much you love her and appreciate her. And here's the deal, she's not going anywhere. Like, I love that. You're not going anywhere. And so we'll see you again next week and the week after that. But hug her neck, encourage her today. So I'm gonna pray. Prayer team's gonna make their way up to the front. The worship team's gonna lead us in a song. And let's do this. Lord, thank you so much for your word, for the example that you've given to us that we can follow. God, I pray that you would help us to know you at a deep level, that for those in the midst of a desert or a wilderness experience, rather than doubting today that you're with them, Lord, may this be a moment where their, their roots will grow deep, that their relationship with you would grow deep, and as they face other stuff in the future, they'll be able to last longer and continue to bear fruit for you because their roots have grown deep in their knowledge and their fellowship of you. God, we thank you for the example of Jesus in quoting scripture to resist temptation. Would you help us to love your word, to know your word, to memorize your word so that as temptation comes, we can do the same. God, for those that are caught up in the nets of sin this morning who feel hopeless and helpless that they'll ever be able to escape it, Lord, today we pray that you would break open that net, that you would cut it and bust it open, wide open, that as people confess their sins, to you and leave from here that they would walk in a freedom. God, that something that used to be a weakness in their life would become a strong suit. God, something that used to be appetizing would no longer be appetizing. It would be disgusting to them. And again, that once was a weakness would become a strength for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.